0: Thanks everyone for joining. This is I'm Brady Volp with uh, Volpy Firm and Nimble. This uh, today's Friday and we're back with Get Your Tech On. I'll throw on all things Doxus. With us today again is John Downey. So, John, you're uh your technical leader at Cisco Systems. Good to see you again. How are things going with you?
1: What, you didn't give me a moniker this time? I didn't give you I don't have a moniker. I don't have no, a No, no name this time. It's just, I'm just, I'm so
0: glad it's Friday. It's been a long couple of weeks, and, and I need a weekend break. I, I don't know how to
1: this, I'm a, kind of a big deal. People know me. <laughs> Stay classy, San Diego.
0: People people know Ron me. Burgundy.
1: <laughs> That's what he said. Johnny, the Ron Burgundy of cable. Of cable. There we go. That's the your Ron title. <laughs> people people know
0: it. me. People know me. People know me. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a big deal. <laughs> so what are we talking about, I'm Ron? Ron uh, John.
1: <laughs> Ron John, uh, John. So I know John you had some slides, and
0: I have some slides. Um, so I, I had to, I think I told you I had the privilege of speaking at the SCTE's UK's um spring lecture in Birmingham, England a few weeks ago. And um that was a pretty pretty interesting topic. We had a had they had a number of lectures, um, focused on a sort of a broad range of topics. But we talked about a number of wireless things, um, Wi-Fi topics, and uh, I focused on FDX and also PNM. So you know, there's a lot of discussions in the, in the cable labs PNM working group about how FDX and PNM are going to work work together. One of the things I found was really innovative that's happening in, uh, in UK and also throughout Europe is de- dealing with um, wh- whether it's DOCSIS 31 RFI nodes or FDX nodes, which are obviously aren't being deployed yet, unless you know of any being deployed in the field, but is you nope. know, how, do you, how do you bridge that gap to go to node plus zero, especially in areas where you have a lot of bur- buried underground cable? And uh, some of the things that they were doing there, uh, one of them that I, I have here is um, uh, they were, you know, in order to ex- get over many cascades of amplifiers, um, they're doing something with uh, one of the technologies they're doing to get to like a one node that might be through multiple cascades is using a, uh, a 10-gig overlay.
1: Are, so, you, are you showing that one? I'm seeing uh, one of my slides. Maybe I'm just seeing... Oh, yeah,
0: you're right, you're right. I'm sorry, I grabbed the wrong one. Thanks for pointing that out. So they're uh-huh. using this 10-gig overlay. So it uses the existing Cascade, and uh, there's a com- couple companies that are doing this right now. This is uh, this slide here is from uh, Curtis. courtesy... I uh, got Giax, or Giax, I think. They're a German-based company. And uh, mm-hmm. actually, Daniel Entmann, uh sent this to me, but he's, he's been on the show before, so he's a fan yeah. of the show. Um, and, and basically, the... The cool thing that this gives you the ability to do here is you have an existing cascade, but at the end point of the cascade, where maybe your DOCSIS 31 node is or in the future an FDX node is, you can use um, you know, where it's showing in green on the bottom left-hand side. Those are really wide SC Quam channels. And they they're put above wherever your existing analog or digital qualm channels are, and then allows you mm-hmm. to transport. 10-gig uh, Ethernet over your existing coax network down to where your DOCSIS 3.1 remote PHY node would be or in the future an FDX node would be. So you have a really clean signal of 10-gig Ethernet um, at, at a remote location where you're not necessarily node plus zero. You might be node plus four, node plus five in those areas, but now you're sending a clean FDX, or 10-gig signal to that RFI node.
1: But you have to install in parallel um, this other box,
0: right? Well, there there is extra equipment that's going to be involved here to yeah. Yeah. to yeah. transport that. Okay. And, and I think just just before we started talking, I, uh, and and I think some of the other things we're going to talk about is what happens at these high frequencies, right? There's there's going to be a lot more attenuation. A yeah, lot more loss. yeah. I
1: mean, and and we should we should address that with the audience, you know. Uh, This is not uh, every time we come up with new technology, you still can't go against physics. You know, we're not running digital signal across coax and copper in pure basement digital. We're still doing a modulated signal, right? Uh, And we're still at the mercy of RF and the physics of RF and attenuation of coax and temperature fluctuations. Um, So, It will be interesting to see, I mean, it has to be planned out still, you know, your spacing. We have the spacing of the amplifiers. But I mean, the the overall goal here is not to replace any coax and existing fiber, right? We're just trying to get the signal as far as we can closer to the customer. And uh, you could argue running small fiber stubs from your existing node to an RPD that's closer could be one way of doing it. but here you talked about underground and how you're going to run a fiber stub underground. You know, we had that one customer or company that was blowing out the coax, like we talked about, uh, and then using the coax underground as a conduit for the fiber, <laughs> you yeah. know, blow out the dielectric. electric. But like you said, you take the customer offline to do that.
0: Yeah. That's, so, that's the challenge. Yeah. That. I think it's a great technology, but the challenge is, you have to have a you have to do it really fast. <laughs> or or you're gonna take the customer offline while you're doing it. So. Um the other tech the other technology that was discussed, and I don't have any screenshots by this, um, for basically, you know, overcoming barriers where you can't necessarily drive fiber, uh, or you know, you have to you have to get from point A to point B to serve customers was uh, uh, one of the cable operators um, was, and i believe it was LGI at the uh, SCTE UK meeting uh, they're doing point to point wireless and it's bidirectional and they're doing it i think in the 50 gigahertz or 60 gigahertz band so it's licensed spectrum but it's fairly low cost to to purchase the licensed spectrum and and they're doing it so they wherever their head end is they'll they'll put a tower up put a, uh, an antenna on that, and then where they want to put the DOCSIS 31 fiber node or, in the future, an FDX node, they put another uh, small, it's, you know, it's not even a tower. They're just putting a, a dish on a, on a telephone pole that happened to be close by there. Now you've got a 10-gig bidirectional connection to your 31 RFI node, and you can, you know, there's no fiber running to it now. You just need a power supply, and you need that uh, that repeater there or the, the bidirectional uh, dish that can communicate over the link. And what they're basically able to do is effectively run three kilometers, uh, three kilometers, 10 gigabit links uh, that have effectively no degradation over wind, snow, and rain. They've been running it for the last year to, to service customers in areas that they wouldn't normally be able to reach. Um, just due to the geography, you know, they have cities, they have railways, um, yeah. dikes, stuff like that. They, they just yeah, yeah. can't run fiber through. So I thought that was a really unique solution. Basically, you know what I'm seeing is that operators are coming up with unique ways of overcoming uh, geographies and, and other issues, or rather, even if it's licensing, in order to to uh, get 10 gigabits to different locations.
1: I'm wondering how You say low cost, but that license cost is shared amongst that service group you're feeding. So, how many people in that service group are sharing the cost of the license? Or you know you know, yeah, I mean, the license but, was only like a, again,
0: a little over a hundred dollars a year. It was it was very low cost oh, for license. So, oh yeah, man.
1: Was, Can you imagine them trying to just put in the fiber and the upfront cost of the God, fiber yeah. and the labor and the trenching and right of ways and everything
0: else? Yeah, you, you yeah, go about you, about a quarter inch for a hundred dollars.
1: <laughs> so sign me up. How do I get that for my house, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You definitely
1: need that for your house. <laughs> I'm doing point to point. It's 22,000 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> it's called geosynchronous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need to do Leo, the low Earth orbit, so I can get it a little bit closer.
0: <laughs> you need something better than what you got, John. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so what, what topics do you have? I know you've been looking at some other uh, some other cases as far as the, what, we're, what we're looking at in the future, going in higher frequencies... What are the challenges you've been facing?
1: So it, it's no secret that FDX brings more upstream speed. That's the bottom line. The question would be, is it worth the complexity of new CPE, um, and interference groups, algorithms with echo cancellation? Um, is it worth the wait? Is it a year down the road, a two years down the road? What can I do today? How much speed do I really need? And that, the bottom line is, what speed do I feel I'm gonna need to serve me the next five years? Knowing that there could be a new application that comes out, just totally throws everything off anyway. But, or a competition. So if you use 85 megahertz, some systems have been deploying 85 megahertz, and it solves the issues in that it doesn't start creeping into my downstream spectrum and I might still have set-top boxes and other things. If I can get rid of the up top box, then I can go up to 204. There's already CPE to support 204. It's in the spec, DOCSIS 3.1. So a 204 allows me to get potentially 1.6 gigabit per second aggregate speed. When I look at 1K Qualm DOCSIS 3.1 with Art Remote 5, you're not going to do 204 upstream with an analog laser. I mean, you know, <laughs> laser clipping is bad with 42 megahertz, let alone 85, let alone 204. So I I feel like you're not going to get an analog laser to do 204. And if you did, you wouldn't be able to run a good modulation anyway. So what's the point? So you're going to go remote 5. That's a, that's the hard truth. You are going to go DA, straight next architecture. So it'll give you better performance, better MER readings, so you can run higher modulation schemes. So here I am with a 1.6 gigabit per second aggregate upstream link. I could offer a one gig service. Thumb, we like to have a 2x two, two aggregate of what you serve, but with a one gig upstream, uh, you can do it with a 1.6 easy. One, you're not going to have that many people that sign up in that service group for one gig, so you can oversubscribe at probably 30 to one. So one gig at a 1.6 is less than one person. You know? uh, it's less than two people, but uh, it might be what is it? 1.6 people um, times 30 would be what? 40 some, 30, 40 people that sign up for one gig, sharing a 1.6 gig pipe. Now, granted, there's other lower tiers that are sharing that 1.6 gigabit aggregate pipe. But if you run the numbers, there's no reason why you couldn't, you know, offer really high speed. So 204 might solve issues for the next five, six, seven years. Uh, even if I do GPON one gigabit symmetrical, I could do a ducts 3.1 and a 204 upstream. The problem is the 204 eats into my downstream. What if I have set-top box? So there's talk in, uh, of um, amplifiers that could break the signal off and get back into the amplifier. Kind of like uh, uh, double, double diplex filters in the amplifiers. So you could kind of notch out an area and send it. So not NDF-NDR, because we still need to go through the amplifiers, you know, part of the problem with FDX is rural America. You can't afford to do node plus zero. It would just be two. So doing node plus three, node plus four, you still have those amplifiers. How do I do FDX? Well, maybe echo cancellation, but we're not going to do four amplifiers with echo cancellation because it might be detrimental to our, our uh, interference groups, our transmission groups, and how it really works. So we might not get much out of it. And and really, uh, FDX up to 600 megahertz in the upstream, four amp cascade could be a mile of coax, you know, easily 1500 feet, 1200 feet between every amplifier. You have node, one amplifier is one span, two amplifiers, three amplifiers, four amplifiers. The spans to the end of line, that's five spans of half inch cable and your drop cable. There's over a mile coax. Look at 500 megahertz in the upstream. The attenuation is going to be 60 dB. Now, granted, you have amplifiers, but then you have temperature effects. You know, one percent for every 10 degree delta from 70. Um, 60 dB is going to be six percent. Well, it'll be, I say five percent swing because I'm thinking 70 degrees to 120. Easily black jacketed cable with a sun load. It's a five percent change of 60, 60 dB total end to end at 500 megahertz. That's uh, three dB. So you have a plus-minus-3 dB swing uh, on the upstream level. The modem has to take care of that. There's no upstream AGC in the amplifiers, so the modem has to resist. No
0: problem.
1: The modem transmits, uh, when you look at the modem transmit levels, there's a a spec called DRW, dynamic range. How much difference can I have in modem transmit level from one upstream to the other to the other to the other?
0: Well, but the we, transit, I mean, isn't it isn't expected that in the upstream the the modems are still going to be transmitting their upstream channels fairly close to each other? Of course, but you're doing
1: 200 megahertz, mm-hmm. maybe 500 megahertz. So, so you're so saying, you so you're saying
0: that, within you know, if the modem's transmitting from its lowest channel, that could be close to five megahertz to its highest channel using OFDMA in the upstream. I think this is where you're looking at it. it yeah. If we're using OFDMA, we could be transmitting from five megahertz. To 200 megahertz, and that, that's what you're looking at,
1: yeah. And that tilt in that spectrum, the dynamic range windows is 12 dB, so you're still gonna have single carrier qualms for your legacy modems 30, 20, set top box, DSG, whatever. But you're gonna extend that spectrum out to 204, throw a couple of DMA blocks in there to fill it out, and then you're gonna look at that and say the modem is gonna transmit like this to overcome the loss to the first active and first active will straighten it back out, right? You know, your actives are balanced to have unity gain, but you're using pads and EQs to do that. Um, but that span of coax before the first active going back, the modem has to take care of that somehow.
0: Yeah. Is, so, that, is that what this first is it, slide you have
1: um, is talking about? Uh, it's, yes. Yeah. So the first slide, I'm going to throw it up there. It's the dynamic range when there's only 12 dB. So what I did is I have this little spreadsheet I put together way back 20-some years ago uh, when I was at Secor Electronics, and it is just something I threw together because uh, I was running numbers. I'm like, you know what, Excel, run the numbers easier for me. Now, I wanted to put in the table for Comscope P3 cable, uh, different taps, and this was way back, so it's like negative box taps for all I know. Um, and then I put in temperature and the, and the formulas, the, the losses, I didn't do the formula for coax because I have the actual losses in the table, but uh, I did the formula for temperature effects. So what I did is I said, all right, um, and if I – well, you can't see my mouse moving, but you can see at the very top I selected 5 megahertz and 200 megahertz, 70 degrees, and what transmit levels I needed from the house at first active flat at 13 dBmV. And I picked 13 dBmV based on a 6.4 megahertz wide channel. So it's, it's my reference level. And the reason why is that's basically what we might be balancing for today with single carrier qualms is 13 dBmV. So I said, all right, that's my kind of my reference level is 13 dBmV at the housing, uh, first active. So for me to go through 130 feet of drop cable, so you can see the, the drop cable at the, at the very bottom there, I wrote down coax RG6 at the bottom right at the, at the house. Go to the house, the drawing. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's RG6, 130 feet. Uh, I'm going through a two-port 14 dB tap. I'm going back. If you go backwards, uh, I selected zero 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 for the devices, except for the coax closer in. I have 900 feet of half-inch cable. So keep going. Yeah, right there. Uh, and then as I go through that 900 feet. That could be end-of-line coax, right? Even though it's a tapped distribution you still could easily have 900 feet of coax to that last last house. I had to transmit 41 over 29 to hit that first active flat. If you look at that tilt, I mean, the difference between the two, is very close to 12 dB. Yes,
0: yeah, so, it would so what, be... What initially 12. looks six. interesting to me is the 41, like that's, yeah. we always say, the, that's sort of the low end of the transmit level that you want a cable modem to have a good SNR in the upstream.
1: True. I mean, you want modems to transmit... Usually close I say four B plus minus three D B. The reason why is by designing your RF plant to have modem transmit higher, it's not that the modems getting any better, by putting attenuation in the tap, you are dropping any noise at that house and that. No. So what happens is when you design the plant for modem transmit levels to be the same, no matter which tap they're on, no matter how much coax. Noise floor will drop in the head end for everybody because you added attenuation on low value taps.
0: Yeah, did I hear you say 38 plus or minus three or 48 plus or 40, minus 48? Okay, so 48 40, plus 48. or minus three gets you close to in, in a DOCSIS 3.0 world, gets you really close to the max transmit level of a mode if you're doing four channel upstream bonding.
1: Correct, and then if you do eight channel upstream bonding, most you of will noise be at max. Yeah, but most of the modems do support the cable labs ECN, the ex- ECR.
0: The extended, yeah, extended transmit power.
1: Yeah. So they give you so even with eight channel offstream bonding, fifty-one in for okay. most cases. So, so if I design for 48, I still have three DB to my max. And then I have enough play for temperature effects and you know, little nuances. Plus I have on the CMTS what I call band aid, it's called max channel power offset. The default, if I it to 6 dB, it allows the modems to stay online and register properly if there's 6 dB within that window, meaning if the modem acts out at 51, even if I had 57 dB of total attenuation, the modem would still register and stay online. So it would hit the CMTS, you know, like minus 5, minus 6, so it would have a, a little worse MER, but in, for most cases, the MERs are usually pretty good. Uh, so it's another little band makes sure the modem stays online, doesn't go into partial mode, uh, registers with a proper we call TC, which is a transmit channel set for upstream bonding. Um, so yeah, there's, there's little tweaks that we can do to give us out ourselves more headroom.
0: Okay, so you're saying that we're close, so this this uh, cable app spec says that we have a twelve DB window. Over five to 200 megahertz, and you're saying we're, we're basically right at the 12 dB window. That's yeah. assuming if the plant is flat, if it's balanced correctly in a return, right?
1: Correct. And remember, from the house to that first active, there's no other actives there. Yeah. It's up in the
0: balance. Well, Nothing there's, <laughs> the, there's a drop, and there's internal wiring, which may be really, you know, not, not ideal. There's internal splitters, which won't be ideal, which is going to make this worse. So, so what happens it, once we exceed the 12 dB window?
1: So you tell me, what is the fix for this? How can I put, how can I reverse this tilt? How can I take the tilt out of the modem and put the tilt in the plant?
0: Yeah, you have what to have reverse I, no. equalizers in the, in exactly. the uh, amplifiers.
1: No, no, not the amplifier. We're, we didn't even get to the amplifier yet.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. This is <laughs> Yeah. Fine. This is So you, you put something in a tap, a reverse equalizer yes. tap?
1: Yes. So you basically balance the coax back to that first active. Yeah. So you have to balance in the tap. You that's what the FST stands for, is flexible solution taps. So you either do simulators or equalizers. You don't do an equalizer that had a cutoff frequency. You actually do from 5 to 1.2 gig
0: equalization
1: so, across the board.
0: What does FS, Flexible Solution Tab? Is that? Yeah, so that's Cisco's brand name. I was going to say, name. who made up that uh, initialism? <laughs> <Fist>.
1: <laughs> no, it, it's an acronym if you say FIST. <laughs> <laughs> that was for Ron. Okay, the Ron. <laughs> this was for my homies. <laughs> so... Um, So the solution would be fix the taps, do flexible solution taps, equalized taps, conditioned taps. Uh, They make step attenuators, or maybe they make plug-ons, but that would be more components. The other solution, remember the old field equalizer? If I can't afford to change all the taps, maybe I can put an inline equalizer somewhere in the middle of the span to kind of split the differences, split hairs. Right. Do you understand? Like where, coupler, where I have that coupler at, maybe I put an inline equalizer and I just put one EQ right there and all the taps past that point actually fix the problem or give me a little bit better modem transmit window. Make sense? Right.
0: Yeah, so if you put enough equalization in going through the amplifiers, you, you could be much less than your 12 dB tilt that we're seeing right now.
1: Not, not amplifiers in my passive here. You, you do the equalization and then, and then, in the
0: passives. And Correct. then when you're going Correct. through your amplifiers, you could be fairly flat.
1: Well, well you you balance for flat. So right. It, it will be flat. I mean, you balance for flat on the amplifier going back all the way to the CMTS. So the modem's going to transmit whatever it needs to hit that first amplifier flat. I just want to put conditioning in so the modem doesn't have to do all the hard work. Yep. What would happen is you put equalization in the cable plant, maybe the tap, and you would hope the modem would transmit 4141.
0: You understand? He hmm. Hey, so I just yeah, want to give on. a shout out to uh, Brian Wilson. He says th- uh, TGIF to uh, you and I. He's also uh, complaining about or concerned about latency. And uh, shout out to uh, Raymond Wishart, who's uh, saying hi to Brian. <laughs>
1: latency on my connection, or latency in docs in general. <laughs> the
0: latency in docs in general. I think this is back when we were talking about the uh, ten gig overlays and the point to point.
1: Of course. And, but what's funny is that, that graph you showed said, oh, very, very extreme low latency, 15 microseconds. I'm like, what? Where are they talking from? Yeah. Where, well, I, don't, I think you're fuzzy math there. Someone's throwing out numbers and they're not uh, elaborating. 15 microseconds maybe from the RPT to the house. But what about for the entire solution? It's not microseconds. Yeah. Even the DOCSIS spec is 0.8 milliseconds, you know, for 100-mile fiber.
0: Yeah, I don't see that there very often though. I I, I typically only see that in rural areas. I mean, yeah. how often do you see 100 miles of fiber in a in an urban area?
1: No, none. I mean, really, <laughs> I was only seeing it like Cable One and those guys out in Arizona, and maybe Midco was doing some EDFAs, where yeah. you know you would go 50 miles in urban dope fiber amplifier, 15, 50 nanometer light, and then you know, amplify the signal to go farther, and it was it was pushing 110, 110 miles. Yeah.
0: Again, probably rural areas. Yeah,
1: of course. of course, but you know what's cool about that is, if we go digital fiber, we don't have that distance
0: problem. Yep, yeah. get back, getting because you you pick up the uh, convert it from uh, analog to digital at the at the node, and then it's a digital link all the way back to the CMTS.
1: Yeah, so your sin, your convert, converge, interconnect network uh, is a digital link. It's one of the zeros, and you can go super super long distances of that. So you the long distances with integral, you put your RPD in, and then it's just RF from there. And the RF might be less than a mile, right, Right. for coax. Now go to the second slide. The second slide actually was, if I put the FST in, or no, the second slide was I went to 120 degrees. So I was at 70 degrees, and then I went to 120 degrees, and now the motor had to transmit 42 at the high end because of more attenuation. And it's at 29.8 at the low end. So now I'm exceeding the 12 dB dynamic range window.
0: I'm surprised it's actually not more than that. that that's not know, very much attenuation right? change at 120 I only
1: did I only did 90, 900 feet because it was the end of line. So it actually, it is kind of surprising because if you look at the total attenuation, it's only 4 dB for the drop and it was only 10 dB for the coax at 200 megahertz. So it's really not that bad. So uh, 5% of 14 dB is only 0.6. You know what I'm saying? It's not really that much. But if you look at the the total coax loss, for instance, this is just looking at the end-of-line modem to that first active. What if I change my coax to 4,000 feet? Because even though I balance the amplifier from amplifier to amplifier, there's still no PC in the amplifiers. So, the modem, all the way back to the RPD, that's all the coax I have to take into account for temperature. Here, I was just doing an example for the dynamic range window. Right. So, you go know, to the next
0: slide. Okay. Yeah. You're. Oh, I see. You're not taking Here, into consideration yeah. more amplifiers.
1: Yeah. Here, I ran the numbers. So th- this drawing is not indicative of of a true end of line right i put in 2250 of half inch cable 2250 feet of half inch cable to indicate how much coax from the house back to the rpd through three spans two to three i said n plus one or two yeah this this is a more
0: realistic scenario yeah
1: yes and then if you look at 70 degrees i have a lot more coax loss because longer distance uh and then i said all right Go to the next slide, and we can see that. um actually, I can keep on that slide. Scroll down, yeah. And no, no, four thousand feet
0: of cable. Yeah, yeah. And this I went slide even more, takes us up to 3. attenuation, a, a transmit of sixty-five point seven. That's going to be problematic.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be scrolled down, or maybe next there we go. slide. At, I said, so no, no, right there at the bottom, my bullet points: seventy degrees, forty-nine dB of loss, 51.7. Yeah. Uh, At 20, 46.7. So you just had a 2.5 dB swing that that modem has to take care of. Oh, yeah. Because the amplifier won't.
0: Yeah, you don't have thermal. uh, We're assuming we don't have thermal attenuators in return, right? Yeah. And and I
1: actually, I I do propose thermal EQs because I think they will help a little bit. Something is better than nothing. Uh, And those are hard to come by. It's just that we don't have actual AGC, you know, like downstream. We have a pilot.
0: But I I think people have discussed uh, putting an AGC based off of the forward AGC
1: in return. And that's why I'm running these numbers to see if it's justified. Right. And so if we design with flexible solution taps and we design with a little bit of headroom, uh, at 200 megahertz, I'm still working out pretty good with the N plus 3 example here with 4,000 feet of cable. I think we're good here. Now go to the next one. Next one will be indicative of FTX, where you're going up to 450 megahertz on the upstream. And it's only an N plus one example. So I did. I went back to my 2,250 feet of coax. My pedal loss at 450 is 42.4. At 120 degrees, is 44.6. So even though I'm much higher frequency, in an FDX solution, you're not going to do N plus three. So I'm only doing 2,000 feet of coax. So my swing is 2.2 dB. So even if I went to 450 megahertz, which you would have thought it would be a lot more or a lot worse, the, the distance fact that my less. coax is less. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. So that, this, that's surprising. It is surprising because yeah. yeah. um, you think the frequency so much higher, it's going to have a major impact. Oh, wow. yeah, but because think, oh, the coax yeah. is so much less it does it still has it an impact. is
1: a it is a huge
0: impact on
1: attenuation, but the temperature effect is a percentage of that attenuation. So it's not as bad.
0: Right. You understand? The, yeah, the change over the diurnal yeah. changes that you're gonna see. Yeah. I mean, if you looked at the power
1: level, look at the power level I have I have circled at the bottom right. That's the put at the bottom right. The transmit power.
0: It's time Sixty eight. 68 for the modem, 68 for the modem. That's, uh, that's above the not, max transmit of a DOCSIS 3-1 so, modem, isn't so, it? Of course,
1: of course. I mean, I had to put in whatever was needed to hit the the, yeah. the first amplifier, but I'm I'm showing an N plus 1, N plus 2 example. So really, I had to put in that level to go through that amount of coax. In real life, an end line is not going to be 2,000 feet of coax.
0: Yeah. But I just had to run the numbers as if
1: it were two spans of coax.
0: I, I think the max transmit on a DOCSIS 3.1 modem is about 65 dB. It's, six, it's 60, but
1: 65 about 1.6 equivalent. So that 65, if you did a 6.4 reference, it would be 60 dB different. So 65 minus 6 is 59. Right. So basically, it's 59 dBmV for a single 6.4 megahertz channel.
0: Yeah. So we're only 10, but 10 dB short. <laughs> Well, it's 10, B, 10 BB but, amongst yeah, friends.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, and my goal here was just to show the temperature in the coax. So don't worry about the, the levels at this point. I'm just showing how much this, the cable modem has to adjust for, for temperature. Sure. And then, I did I do not one more, or that was it? I'm like that was the did end it? of
0: them. Yeah. That's, okay. What about, um, yeah, I think there's some other things that also impact it. Like, what, what happens if subscribers have when we start to make these splits say a a 42 54 megahertz amplifier in their home and they just try to put in a doxus 3.1 modem
1: so have you a, have a, you looked
0: at these types of uh corner cases
1: it's funny you bring that up it's very timely because uh i was with another customer uh, uh last week and week before and they are running into the problem how things have a free pair filter yeah you know the the modems report their capability to the CMTS. And the CMTS can make decisions on the modem's capability. But what if the modem is behind a house amp? It's not like we have any visibility to the house amp. The house amp isn't talking to us.
0: We have no idea.
1: So really, it comes down to a spectrum allocation and planning exercise. And the one customer, I think it's going to be a nice... A nice idea. We're looking at and I should have had the, the diagram and I probably can't show it. Did I send it to you? Did I send you the Docs three one uh, upstream? Uh, no. Slides? No. I oh, can I
0: share for mine? I should be able to share for mine, right? You can. It might just look really crappy, so give it a try.
1: <laughs> and I'm sure the customer won't mind me to uh, take the customer's name out
0: and yeah while while you're working on that so I'm I'm seeing a similar situation with customers going 85 megahertz but they're still doing SC qual bonding in the upstream but they're going to 8 channel bonding and what you'll end up with is maybe three or four channels out of the eight will bond cuz they're they're hitting the diplex filter and then the other channels will be in partial mode meaning they're they're just not bonded and so the operators working with um, doing different different profiles in the upstream so that they can uh they're able to um basically get more of those channels bonded across there. Uh or they can have the the modem switching between either four channel or three channel bonding for if they have a house yeah. amp, If they don't have a house oh. amp, then they get all eight see? channels. Uh yeah, I can see that. Let me uh can you slide it down a, a little bit? Uh, actually I'm
1: doing screen sharing. I can do it on
0: I can do it on my side, don't worry about it. I'm yeah. gonna Push this over right now. There you
1: go. I I, I like this idea. Uh, and the problem you were talking about, I've seen, where if I put all the single carrier qualms contiguous at 40 megahertz, the modems don't have a brick wall filter, even the 2 modems. And what's been happening is 2 modems can lock on upstream 4, and you should be able to see my mouse, right? It might be a little slow, but... If I put upstream 4 right here at 44 megahertz, can you see my mouse moving, my pointer? Uh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I see it or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. on my screen. <laughs> yeah. So the if I put upstream 4
1: at 44 megahertz, a 2 motor might lock onto it with a lower level. Right. Meaning it would have to transmit higher because it's all tenuation. And the internal filter it has in itself, you know, it's it doesn't filter those are maxed out. They're getting 4 MER, blah, blah, blah. It turns out it should have never locked an upstream 4. Right. So, what about a DOCSIS 3.0 modem? If it's a 42 MHz filter a 3.0 modem, it could lock an upstream 4 at 44 megahertz. try to bond on channels above it, and it won't, and it'll come up in partial mode. When really, you want to relegate it, good word, to upstream 0, to 3. So, we can do that with restricted low-balance groups, DOCSIS, restricted low-balance groups, where modem tells us its capability, 42 megahertz filter, and we can steer it to upstream 0123. So we can do that with two of the three of the modems that only do 42 megahertz. But then you have to do all these low-balance groups. And what if it's a modem that reports, I can do 85, but there's a 40-meter house, house amp, a 42 megahertz house amp? Well, now the reported it didn't get steer with low balance because it's at 85, and now all of a sudden it's not working, and it's in 4- or 5-channel partial mode instead of 8-channel.
0: Yeah, and can't you... I mean, this obviously the CMTS is going to see that that modem is in severe partial mode, so can't you put the decision-making in the CMTS to say, look, obviously this modem's not able to lock up to any frequency above 42 megahertz. so there must be... There must be an impairment there. Let's move it to a, a block below forty-two megahertz, like the block that you have circled for upstream zero, one, two, three on the slide that you have. Which that all those channels are below forty-two megahertz. That makes sense. It's kind of like a this is just a logic to see you're doing.
1: I agree with you in theory because you don't know what issue it is. Could noise? It could be filtering. You don't really know. It's not like you have the spectrum analyzer cross-reference with the CMTS,
0: and you could.
1: Uh, I think what you're mentioning would be a good play for um, machine learning. Yeah, off like offloading that that computations to something that does machine learning, a uh, software-defined network, SDN app, and it does that, and then it can redefine. Like I've said before, for downstream partial mode. I think any modem that's in downstream partial mode that say it's an 8-channel modem, we should be keeping track of that modem on uh, which downstream he is saying is bad for him and avoid those frequencies in the future. So instead of putting it in partial mode anyway, why not just move to a different 8-channel bonding group, which I is know. exactly what you just said for upstream.
0: Yeah, I mean, we do that in a downstream currently, I, I think, at least. That's why we have a no, different bonding actually, groups in the downstream.
1: actually, built. We don't. And, and,
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So modems can end up in partial mode, and it's really up to the, the user, the, the cable company, to keep track of those modems and find out why certain downstreams are bad. Uh, that modem might stay in partial mode forever. I mean, if it goes offline, he can walk on a different downstream and work fine at different frequencies, but there's no real let's keep track of the modem and which downstream is bad which, you know, for him. Right. So it's getting it's... more complex and more computations.
0: Well, it's not that it get it. It's not that it, the CMTS is keeping bad, but let's say we have a modem that does sixteen um, channel bonding, and if it can't bond to sixteen channels, it'll drop to a lower bonding group. It'll, Correct. So I, I don't think that it's intelligence that it's keeping in it in touch with. It just drops to a lower bonding group. What I see in the upstream. Um, we don't today have a way of, of having a, easily a lower bonding group for that to drop through to, right?
1: Correct, correct. And remember, all the bonding group stuff is decided by administration. It's not like we change bonding groups dynamically. Right. We can load balance between bonding groups, but right. you can't drop from an A to a 4. You can go to partial mode, but you can't drop down to a completely different bonding group.
0: In you the can upstream. move to
1: another yeah you can move to a different group if it's the same size so you can do a four-channel bonding and four-channel bonding like you can move with load balancing i thought this three then have balancing right. do you understand know what we're doing here with the lfdm the lfdma why it's we're in the center yeah we're creating ourselves a buffer oh
0: so that okay. modems
1: never lock you know a modem is stupid right it locks them downstream and gets the ucds it can't say it gets ucd for upstream four well, a modem that's, that tries to range at 60 megahertz, if it has a filter, it's never going to work. So it would just fail.
0: Right. So, so if you're just listening to the podcast, what John's talking about here is we have uh, four upstream jan- channels from 5 to 42 megahertz, upstream 0, 1, 2, 3. Then we have a 24 megahertz OFDMA channel. And then we have three more SCQM channels upstream, four, five, and six, uh, somewhere where that OF twenty-four megahertz OFDMA channel stops, and where 80, and and between there and eighty-five megahertz. So he's saying that the twenty-four megahertz OFDMA channel is a buffer between the first four SC-QAM channels in the upstream and the last three SC-QAM channels in the upstream. Correct. And so the concept so, of the buffer there, John, you're saying that so the the, the lower the, the modems that are at the lower frequencies, like the forty two megahertz cable modems, will lock to those first four and never never see the upper ones. Is that the, correct, the basic concept?
1: Correct. Well, well it's not a matter of seeing, right? They see down the modems see downstream, they transmit on upstream. So if even if they got an upstream channel descriptor for upstream four, five six at the higher frequency, if they try to range on those, it would never work. Right. They never They're see it. Up. Yeah, the CMTS would never see it. Right. Remember the modem transmitting cable the CNTS is trying to see, quote unquote, see the upstream and they do won't. So the CNTS like, uh, I don't get nothing from you. So the modem will time out and they'll try to range on a different upstream. So they range on upstream
0: zero, one, two,
1: or three. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean I like this idea. What you see is that with like color coding. I'm bonding upstream zero one two three four five six to make a seven-channel bonding group. Any modem has eighty-five megahertz filter, and it can do it. It'll it at least get seven channels of upstream bonding. Mm-hmm. The I, I bonded upstream zero through three, the four-channel bonding group for modems that can only do four-channel bonding and modems that are below forty-two megahertz.
0: And then I bonded
1: all 2 header qualms and OFDMA for the three-one modems. Now we have eight channels upstream bonding for three-one.
0: All right, makes total sense. So, where do we go from here, John?
1: <laughs> um, you know, I so the question the question we start out with was eighty five to a four, and I said before the bottom speeds. Do you feel you need? Uh right. it's not just what the customers, customers think they need, and, and it's not application driven, driven at this point. point. It, it might be you know, uh, competition driven. driven. Uh, if you're offering gigabit, gigabit service on the upstream, you're probably doing a uh, If it's a green field, you're probably fiber. But if we need brown field support for 500 meg service on the upstream, we can do that with 200 megahertz. Uh We don't need to. Here's a solution right here where I'm 85 meghertz and I'm getting an aggregate of 480 megabit per, per second. second. And peak rate. So I can offer a 250 service. Might be even offered a battery somebody the hair. Mm-hmm. Now, now if you, you said, said five hundred, it's obviously not gonna work. <laughs> but so so <laughs> it really comes down to what do we need to offer and how long do you think we can milk back out? You know? Will it yeah. last five years, seven years?
0: And actually I, I wanna I wanna just r- confirm again. So you had um... Uh, for seven SC qualms and 124 megahertz OFDMA channel on that upstream, uh, if those SC Quams are running at 64 QAM, what what's mm-hmm. the total aggregate throughput that you would, uh, an operator would expect to get with that setup? Just for the
1: seven?
0: Yeah, the seven SC Quams and the 24 megahertz OFDMA.
1: Well, you, you see at right right 480. 80. So
0: oh, you get 27, 27
1: meg times seven, times 7. that's 189. That's 189. But, but the, the 24 megahertz, MHz, 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 I'm assuming it's good at R and running 1K bomb. Right. I might be a little aggressive there, uh, but that, that 24 megahertz is getting me uh, 300 megahertz so by itself.
0: Yeah. So 300 plus
1: 29, I to be 49, 40, something in that
0: range. So you going to 85 megahertz, you could you get close to a half a gig.
1: Yeah. yeah, and, and it and I, and could get closer. get closer. Like, if, if you, you find, find that the 3.0 modems, none of them are utilizing upstream 4.5.6, why, 4, why would I have single pair of qualms if they're not being used, right?
0: Yeah, you'd expand so your DMA would... Exactly. And then yeah. I'd get
1: even more speed. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but I think it's going to be a while before we get rid of all the DOCSIS 3.0 modems. So we're, we're going to expect those SC qualms down there for some time. Still not bad, going 85 megahertz, getting a half a gig in the upstream. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. agree. So, so I mean, that, that might, might hold people over and more. more. And, and then the question, question, question is, I could do that two or
0: four, two four today. today.
1: Well, FDX is still not there. I mean, for If it were me, i want things to be FDX ready somehow. If I'm going to do hardware changes, I would do flexible solution tasks, Make sure they go to one point two gigahertz. Maybe one point eight gigahertz if, if I could uh amplifiers uh if i could do the intelligent node with the, you know, no padding eqs and control the, the diplex or a pluggable diplex order or no diplex order so it's fdx ready um that would you know we're always trying to get our return on investment so how do i invest in something that will be future proof for the next technology
0: yeah so any any chance you have if you're buying a new node a new amplifier well primarily the node but Amplifiers as well. If you're buying them, make sure that you can upgrade the diplex filters and they support higher splits for one.
1: Yeah, even mm-hmm.
0: if the, mm-hmm. the big one, right? It's There's a lot, lot more CPE than there is <laughs> So, so <laughs> even if you're not doing DOCSIS 3.1 today, maybe start buying the 3.1 modems. Because the way well, I look at it, there
1: are modems today that are on on the, the, in, in the, the market, market, out in the, out the market. market They'll do two downstream of OTM and they only do two, yeah. two upstream of GM. Yeah, They're only going to high 4K bomb. None yeah. of them support 8K or 15K bomb, which I know is not very high-dream. But I I would never negate new technology and better AR when I get RPD closer to the house. So if I want to even closer, I might to do 8K bomb on the downstream and 4K yeah. on the upstream. And so, so if I look at my CPP, I would, I would like, like an FDX ready with more capacity, more downstream capacity, and, you know, blocks that it can support, and more upstream. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't use it for two years, I'd rather have it in there.
0: And then, what else
1: do you think is in the CPE that would be really great to have?
0: Think of something else
1: you use a lot from the CPE.
0: Well, I I, I I use diagnostics from the CPEs. So, no, so.
1: but how how do you connect CPE?
0: your CPEs? Your, oh, having gigabit Ethernet on the CPE is good to have.
1: That's, that's only, only one connection. connection. What, what else do you use?
0: Exactly. Wi-Fi. What's coming
1: out? What's coming out?
0: Yeah, you you want multiple Wi-Fi points, higher higher capability no, Wi-Fi. What's
1: coming what's out? What's it announced? What's, what's, what's the new technology? technology? Wi-Fi 6.
0: Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. So I, mean, so, I mean, if, if I'm going to get a new CPU, yeah, really, really high Yeah, high, you want really high-speed Wi-Fi. Oh, hell
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, i, I like, like Wi-Fi 6, 6. i like FDX ready.
0: And I, I think, actually, the new PCP, Samsung the new Samsung phone that came out supports Wi-Fi 6, I believe.
1: So, so it must be ready, ready to, go, to go, right? right? Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually one of the topics uh, when I was at the SCTE UK. They were talking about that, and that was where I heard yeah. about the Samsung phone supporting it. So like, everything yeah. else doesn't, but it'll it'll be just like everything else. You know, we start off with yeah. uh, the old Wi-Fi A or something like that. And yeah, then, yeah. Then N and all the other stand yeah. AC came out, and yeah. eventually, eventually, all the computers and phones will start supporting it as well. So Agreed. Yeah, absolutely, Agreed. A good time to get it. So yeah. hey. Do you have any, uh, travel coming up? Uh, uh, Anga. Anga? 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 yeah. So in I'll, Germany. I'll be at Anga It's the, I think it's the first week in June. Oh, um, weeks Yeah, it's coming up soon. Next week, I'll be at the Sioux Falls chapter, uh, SEC chapter meeting. I'll be talking on DOCSIS 3.1 and PNM. They're kind of um, to go to, speak to, speak to you. you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. God. yeah? yeah, no, I, I,
1: I had, had to sit down because, uh, uh
0: I'm on vacation next week. <laughs> oh, well, I hope you enjoy your vacation. I should have been vacation through fall, right? Yeah, that would have be been perfect. That's a great place. <laughs> so all right, John, we've uh, we've we've used up our time today. Um good information. Thanks for your time. Good episode. Um, as always, we do our best to bring good content to our audience. Uh, you can watch us live or catch us on the air on uh, video or podcast, so please do click the subscribe button or uh, list us on your podcatcher and uh, get your episode every month. Uh, Thanks again, everyone. Have a great weekend. Have a happy Friday, and we'll see you next month. Bye, all.